Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on the panel we have Adi Ayangar. Hello. And Alan Weimar. Hello. And Sasha Wolf, that's me. And we have, no, special guest, just us, me. And I think Alan wants to talk about something with flies. I didn't quite get it. Alan, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> I don't get it either, to be honest. But no, actually what I wanted to talk about is, I think that the state of deployments has changed in the past couple of years, right? It, maybe for you guys, it may have now changed, but I've been doing a lot of deployments off of AWS EKS, but finally I ran to a project where they need to deploy something, make it super simple. Back in the day, it used to be Heroku, right? And, you know, just like any other project, every project I have is low budget. So they're looking for something free or cheap. So like the $7 option like Heroku, that can probably work, right? But Heroku, since they removed their free tier, I feel like they've kind of gone a little bit long on the tooth, as they say, right? A little bit past its prime. And now there's so many different choices. And we went through quite a few and we ended up going with Fly.io for a couple of different reasons. One is uh, the developer I'm working out with, he recommended it. Two is I keep hearing about it, but never actually tried it, right? I think Chris McCord's working there now still. And they're also committing a lot of stuff to Elixir community. And of course, there's GigaLixir, Render. There's so many different options, right? So we're doing Fly.io and it's been a pretty enjoyable experience, but definitely something that takes time to get used to. I mean, I think, Adi, you said you worked with Fly.io before? Yeah, a while ago. It was, it was cool. I think at that time, the big draw for that was the whole edge kind of the game right like uh i don't know if that's still like uh the big reason it was not easy to set things up this was like 2020 beginning of 2020 so yeah i've heard it's changed quite a bit and i know of a couple of friends of mine they were able to set up a project and run a phoenix project very quickly like within 10 minutes or 15 minutes it sounded like so yeah i would love to learn about your experiences with that alan yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely is a little bit, takes a little bit of time to get used to, right? Because you're using the, the command line and there's a lot of commands to deal with, right? And you have to run this like fly CTL launch. That one will, will basically set up everything that you need for you. It's cool. Like it reads your project, reads your Docker file, gets everything ready to go. The only thing that I had a little bit of issue, which was I needed to create a test environment. And so I created it and I created it on somebody else's account because you can only have one free app on your account. And so I managed to connect, I managed to do everything, but like deploying the app to that one took a little bit of time because if you use the FlyCTL launch, it tries to create another TOML file, which is not what I want to do. I don't want to necessarily rewrite it. I mean, so I couldn't try to figure, I couldn't quite figure it out. So I had to go this long route of trying to redo everything that it does for you out of the box, like creating the PHX host, creating the database, connecting it, uh, how do you look confused? No, I was. I'm just confused that it's that it was that hard to do it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Like maybe because I'm doing this with like another account and another app name, and the way I was doing it is probably not the best way to do it. Right. I'm, there must be a way that you can probably just clone it and say, okay, clone this environment and make another one for me. But I mean, this one needs to be moved to another account anyway. So we just created another mm, account. Got so it. That, yeah. So I, again, maybe I'm not doing it the right way. But so it took me some time, but I figured it out eventually just doing everything the long way. Got but, it. Does Fly have Terraform support? It didn't have it earlier when I was using it. But if I mean, no. that would be the right way to do it if they do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be interesting if it does, right? But I mean, there's not much there. You just basically say, okay, here's my app. Read the Docker file. And then it knows, okay, this is a Phoenix app. So that creates like the typical PHX host, the 8080 port, everything you need, attaches the Postgres instance, all that kind of stuff. But if you do it by hand, it's not that simple. But right. yeah, the most difficult part is like, okay, which which region do I use? Right. But that's why Terraform would help, right? Like if you have a 
production version of that and you want to just like a, do a QA or test version, just like copy the file and rename and just run one command and hopefully you're all set, right? That's like the advantage. I think I think for me, and this is going to be a very quick tangent, we'll, we'll talk about Heroku more, like a huge advantage of Heroku is obviously the, the ease of setting and stuff, but Terraform makes it like even better if you know how to use Heroku with Terraform, which took us a couple attempts to use. It made life very easy to build many apps, not just for test and QA, but I also advise so many startups and I build their initial MVP. It just allows me to take this like template app and within 10 minutes have an have a app, production ready app that with staging QA production environment, right? I'm sure you can do it do it fly IO too, but I just haven't done it yet. And I don't know if they have Terraform adapter. Well, yeah. I mean, if you can order pizza with Terraform, you should be able to create Flyo apps with Terraform, right? I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. what? You can, can order pizza with Terraform? <laughs> you didn't know about this? I thought everybody knew about this one. You I mean, both of you don't know this or just... I hadn't heard of this particular thing, but I mean, depending on how, how, what you use Terraform for, you should be able to do anything with Terraform, right? As long as you write an adapter for it, so... Yeah, yeah, there's a Terraform. So for Domino's... It's in the Terraform registry. You can order pizza with it. I'll drop it into our, our chat if you guys are curious about this. I'm not even surprised, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And they got the, is that the Nink? I forgot what the heck they, or the Wiz, or what do they call that, that little character? I forgot that character of Domino's, that Noid. So Domino's little mascot is actually called the Noid. But yeah, I, I mean, I think I heard people actually using it for like, if your app deploys fine and it orders a pizza on a Friday or something like that to kind of celebrate the week or whatever. That's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's just like, okay, I guess it works, but it, it's, I think it's officially only US, I guess, because I don't think you guys have Domino's out here. Sure, not out here. We have Pizza Hut, but no Domino's. There are Domino's outside of US too, but Sasha, hey, we need to write one for a vegan pizza place. Stuckwerk in Germany, they have vegan pizza. <laughs> so you were also saying, uh, like we're basically talking about the experience with, with Fly, right? And, and Heroku. Isn't there also Render now? Which is not also a thing. I, I, at least I've seen it in like the Twitter sphere. From yeah, around. I haven't played around with it, but sorry, I just started working without Fly, and it looks like there is a Terraform for Fly.io. I don't know. I'm pretty happy with Fly.io. I think it's pretty. It's pretty nice. But yeah, I just find like if you wanted to create another environment, it's you can't. It's not easy just to say, okay, give me like an app, a database, whatever. You actually have to like have like a blank app ready to go. And so it's like sometimes the convenience of things also makes it more complicated, right? So again, the first time I set up, it read my app, saw everything, created everything I needed. It was simple. I wanted to create another app somewhere else. That one was more complicated because it was trying to override the, the Tomo file and everything, which maybe I did something wrong. You can have a copied repository which just follows the main yeah. of a different branch. <laughs> Yeah, That'd be that, like the actually. simplest way to solve that. I don't want to do things simple. Why would I want to do something simple? <laughs> I thought that's what we engineers like, like simple solutions to complex problems, right? That's what engineering is all about. No, we like nope. to, to design that, but we don't like to use that. <laughs> nice. Isn't it like complex solutions to simple problems? That, that was always my impression. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds like exactly what I'm doing with this, with this app right now, is, is trying to give it a complex solution. It's a very simple problem. Nice. Yeah, but I do like that you can, that everything is just versioning up, which is kind of nice. Uh, can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by everything is versioning up? Oh, like, so every time you set a secret, it basically increments the version number. So it's it's very much like a, what do you call that? Like a read-only kind of system for the most part. Oh, got it. I don't know that. So Fly manages the versions for you of your app. Yeah. And the other thing too is like, I, when I, I couldn't figure out like a way to roll back, actually. I, I, in fact, I think they don't have that. If I, I tried looking a few times and people were, were saying that they wish they had it, 
The only thing I could find is that because it builds like a Docker image is that you can say, okay, deploy, and then you can name the Docker version. image yep. and it would and it would just basically bump up the version again and then just use the old image. I thought it was a little bit weird because it's like, well, why can't I just got go back one? Just point to the back one. Why, why do I got to make a new deployment? Which is Yeah. I guess come to think of it, I think Heroku does that too, right? It also like it implicitly versions each release or each update you make if you add a new container or a new secret. Like you said, it adds a new release. But that's interesting that Fly does it too. And it's also interesting that they don't allow a rollback. It's probably because, you know, for like failures, like handling failures and stuff. But Maybe. it's also, yeah. So you said you have to name your Docker image. Do you not have access to the registry that Fly uh, comes with? Like, can you not get a I previous think you, build? I think you may be able to. Like, all I know is that I wanted to roll back. And the only thing I could find is somebody said that you could say, okay, Fly CTL deploy dash I, and then you can name the image. Mm-hmm. And it would pull that image and make a new deployment with that image. So I'm effectively rolling back, but actually rolling forward with an old image. Got it. So that was the only way that I could fix this problem. So could I pull the image? I, I probably, uh, but I don't really need to run the image locally. I just needed to, uh, to fix something because we had a bug in a later version. So I need to yeah. roll back. Like I remember before, like when you use the Rails, right? You could just, if you used, uh, what was the name of that deployment one? Do you remember? Capistrano? Yeah, Capistrano, right? It, that one had like five or 10 versions. Yeah. And it would just point that. That's what I thought it could do, but apparently not. I was a little bit surprised. Yeah. I guess like Rails, you can assume, I mean, it does make assumptions, but Capistrano makes assumptions about structure of your app compared to Fly, which is like more like containerized and, you know, you could have like yeah. a set of other containers that could depend on. So I guess I can see that to some extent, but... So I guess that what does that make the landscape of deployments for like Elixir options right now? If there's Fly, obviously, there's Render, which we can't really say anything about right now. There's still Heroku around. Yeah. And of course, there's the classic role yourself. If you were to choose Adi, Alan, like kind of like starting something from scratch or maybe also in the long run, what would your, would your choice there be at the moment? It depends. I mean, if it's just for myself, I would look at some other options. If if it's for like another company, I think I would probably look, would look at Fly.io. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the nice part about like Fly.io, sorry, like I took my words. The nice part about Fly.io is that you can multi-region deploy, which I think is something that any app that needs to scale needs. I don't know of anybody else that has ease of use for that one other than Fly.io. Oh, wow, did you, did you just... Oh, Ali, did you also see that guy walking into Alan's room with a suitcase full of money? <laughs> I, was, I think it's such I, I wish I got money from that. Like, again, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong because I've just been deploying to Kubernetes for a while, but uh, they're the only ones I know that, that can that do it. Well, let me let me now uh, do something. This is the easy way. Right, right. Yeah, now, now let me also, you know, do something because the Heroku guy walked in my room too, right? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> So Heroku has something on Edge as well. It's not as cool as Fly, right? Or as uh, snappy as Fly. But again, the what comes with Heroku for me is the ease of management, right? And obviously, it's everything is like with the preface, like what uh, what Alan said is like it depends. Generally, when I think of Elixir, at least at this point, building a new app, it's I rarely think of like a big company like generally a startup or a small scale company mm-hmm. which is hoping to scale up to some extent more than ruby on rails but like to get somewhere heroku took us so far in my previous startup like we were scaling 50,000 new user accounts a month and we were like able to do it easily just like by increasing the you know number of pods that were running 
it's very easy. Easy to add like a replicator database, add a follower database for, for read replica and other purposes. Very simple to manage. And I think we the load the load test we did was I think twenty four or two hundred and forty. I I, I I think it was two hundred and forty thousand or two point four million. I can't remember exactly. It's been a while that that we were able to scale within a few minutes uh, requests that we were able to respond to. So I think what stood out was the effort it took for me to initially do the Heroku. That was for a very early stage startup. Once it's set up, the effort to get it to scale up to that point was negligible. Just through the Heroku UI, right? And yeah, and, and like 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 I said, Alan Edge, we did not get a chance to use that, but I know it works pretty good with Heroku as well. Though I think it's maintained by Heroku itself, or maybe it might be an add-on. Yeah, I'm a huge Heroku fan. Unless it's like their deployments are so complex that you need a container orchestration, and that's where you know Kubernetes would be a better alternative. Yeah, I can only say we, we are still sitting with Kubernetes, but that is also like something inherited. So it didn't really make sense to move away from that if it's already set up, it works. And at that point, um, there was not much reason to like kind of pull that out. If I were, were to be started, I would also probably consider something like Heroku or Fly or Render. For, for my personal use case, I would probably just put something on my home lab, which is sitting on my desk. <laughs> it's like a system D service. But I'm actually wondering, because that was something we were struggling with at a previous place we were working at that that uh, that was kind of deliberately doing like a microservice architecture whether or not that was a good choice but that's stand on its own right um but there we actually had um, issues with heroku because that got pretty expensive pretty quickly because heroku's even smallest port i think or what are they calling i forgot uh, dino dino right yeah yep. the smallest dino was it's not cheap and if you spin up like i don't know 15 20 of those that adds up yeah in my experience at least it has been still cheaper than a full-time DevOps engineer if you're able to make lives easy for your actual application developers right like who develop the application layer side of things and minimize DevOps and platform DevOps and platform in a small startup, it is really worth it. Obviously, as you grow and you, you know, I don't think there's like a number, but generally I feel like, you know, there's like 20 engineers, 20 productive engineers, you know, uh, you're making huge releases every other week and you have like scale, which is like, you know, in, in millions of, you know, requests a day. I think that's, in my experience, is when there's like an inflection point where you should start thinking, you know, is it worth moving to like a more convenient architecture? Uh, cheaper in that sense, and also easier to also uh, easier from a security perspective, right? The, the RBAC stuff too. That's also uh, Heroku doesn't have a lot of role-based access control features, so I think that's where it starts getting complex. And I, I don't think Fly has a lot of features there either. Uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. Yeah, the the role-based access, right? I know that you can add people, but I didn't actually see. I take a look to see what kind of actions you have. Uh, you can see who the last deployed or set secrets, right? But you, right. I don't think you can, you can actually say, okay, this guy can do, can do what? And this question is born out of ignorance, um, but I guess there are probably other people out there which might ask the same thing. Um, but back when I was working with, with Heroku, they, their source of truth, so to speak, that wasn't like a container-based deployment. It was something Heroku-based. Is that still the case or do they also not support container-based deployments? Oh, the only is container-based deployments. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I know they have the app, what's called, like platform service side of things, right? Like where they have one for Alexa too. It just doesn't give you that level of flexibility. The another thing is horizontal scaling doesn't work as well 
with some of them either because they have to write adapters for those. There's like mm-hmm. weird adapters for each. But with containers, when Heroku starts supporting containers, I think 2020, right? Okay, something like that. Good. That's when it. I think uh, it made it made it more. It, it it was a clear choice for me at least just to just move to containers. So like even a simple, a very simple like HTML only project. If I do something as a side project, I still use containers and de- keep the same kind of deployment. Yeah, fair, fair enough. That makes because I still remember us like when we were moving away from Heroku and like getting some of the the stuff in, squished into containers from mm-hmm. like a big Heroku diner was actually was not fun. Let's say that we had like this mm-hmm. big, huge, like ridiculously large Ruby monolith. But to be honest, it was biggest and the most annoying code base I ever worked with. <laughs> but getting that into a container was that was hard. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I think one more thing I like about Heroku is just, again, like people said Erlang, it's like, you know, like uh, battle tested and like tested with like a lot of big loads and stuff. So I, th- I think with Heroku as well, I like that. It's not just tested up in terms of like what the app or the dynos themselves can handle, but also from a user perspective, it's evolved based on feedback from people, primarily engineers who don't care about DevOps, right? <laughs> so it's evolved to make life easier for engineers like that. So I think that's another thing I like about it. But does it does again doesn't mean I'm like, you know, not open for evaluating what's good. It just worked so well. I mean, I'm actually losing count of how many applications I have built, deployed, and are still running on Heroku in production. And that's I think it says something. And then just for completeness sake, I think there's also we should at least mention as an option Gigalixia, which still exists. I've I've never only played with them. I've never used them in like in, in anger and in production, but they are they're also there. And they all I think they're probably from all the options we've mentioned, they're the only ones which support out of the box hot code upgrades. Which if you actually want to go for that, then that's probably the way to go if you unless you kind of want to double with managing things for yourself. Yeah, great call out. Yeah, I have used uh Gigalixir that I don't know about Fly.io, but Gigalixer does support hot code upgrades, which is pretty cool. I don't think many of these things actually support that, but they for sure do because I've actually used it, just playing around with it, and it's worked pretty well. Scaling also works pretty well, but they're they're of course actually they run on I think AWS and GCP, and they have yeah, and I think you can actually connect to your own AWS stuff too. There's some there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. it I believe it's one guy named Jesse who's running everything, and he does a great job. But yeah, actually that's funny too because I haven't heard Gigalixer in a while. I mean, I think it's still around, but I haven't. Nobody's been talking about it. I'm just curious if it's actually still around. It should be. I, yeah. I honestly am not surprised. I mean, a lot of mind share, at least from from my bubble, I feel has been around Flyio, especially since Argus McCord was working there. So Fly has definitely been pushing into the Elixir into Elixir sphere as like a hosting solution that also ships and like uh, serves towards Elixir engineers. And Giga Elixir, I guess, just doesn't have the same level of broadcasting power i'd say that <laughs> yeah i mean they're pretty they're pretty small team right i thought it was just jesse himself but i just went to if you go to the about page for giga Elixir, you see one two three like about five six people here and they're all people most of them working at, at google so i guess that's probably how they met each other probably all work in google uh, that's what it seems to be yeah so maybe beyond the the immediately obvious, okay, you will deploy the things on there. Like how how let's also look at some order the related areas of engineering work. So like for example, for you, Alan, how does usually your setup would then look like if you deploy your stuff to something like Flyer, or are you then using something like GitHub Actions for for projects, or how is the deployment pipeline looking there, including maybe CI integrations? Yeah, I'm still using GitLab CI. 
I don't know why everybody goes crazy about GitHub Actions. I feel it's so annoying because you always have to look for like an action for everything. I mean, I suppose you could make your own, but I feel like I spend a lot of time trying to find the right action with GitLab CI. I don't know. I just feel easy because it's like, okay, I know all the bash commands. So I could just do it. I'm sure you could probably do the same thing with an action, but I don't know. I just find it more complicated. Adi, you kind of bit your, bit your lip for a second. Maybe I, I struck a nerve. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I was a big GitLab CI guy. I, I think the big reason for me to move to GitHub Actions was just convenience. I do prefer GitHub over GitLab overall in terms of interface and just having something right there was easy. And yeah, I've, I also from what I remember, 2019, I don't know if that's the case, there's limited parallelism in GitLab CI, right? And I think I was starting to work in projects where CI was taking more than eight, nine minutes. And that's like, that really tests my patience. So GitHub Actions parallelism was another big reason. But yeah, sorry, continue. Explain how you use uh, Fly CI, uh, Fly IO with GitLab. Well, I tried using their container. It doesn't work in the CI. I made a complaint and they're like, oh, that's uh, GitLab's problem. So our container works fine. <laughs> I wasn't very happy about that, but I understand they're probably busy or whatever else. So I tried for like a week, couldn't figure out how to make it work. So I just did what... Actually, they have an article about how to do it. Basically, I just took an Ubuntu container and AppGit installed curl, curled in their installer and then just installed that way. That's And it just works. So I just... Okay, fine. Then if it works... So here's a simple solution for a complex problem. Or simple problem. Simple solution for a simple problem, I would say, for this one, actually. So yeah, that one just works. And then set the environment variables. This is my Fly app and this is my Fly access token, and then it just works. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. The only other issue is like one of the guys I work with, um, he, he made his account later for GitLab. So when he does stuff, the CI won't run for him if you're using shared runners, because I guess people were, were taking advantage of GitLab before and running cryptocurrency stuff on there on the CI. So he's got to attach a, a credit card, which he didn't do. So usually he does some work and then I take a look and then I'll merge it in and then my account also works. So when I merge it in, then it gets deployed. So that's kind of the run around that we do. But usually like for this kind of stuff, I just deploy a runner because usually we're using EKS. So just deploy a runner to EKS and then turn off the shared runners and it just works every time. So it's pretty forward, pretty straightforward, I think. Adi, what about you? Heroku, do you just rely on like Heroku's build pipeline there or what was your approach? Yeah, completely GitHub, the GitHub action. So for the main production ones, depending on, you know, what the situation is, some people don't like CD, they just like image to be built and the last action to be, you know, manual by engineers so they can like do an engineering QA as well. So depending on that, the image is built when you merge uh, to main or push to main. And if they need, the image also gets released. I think what I use, I don't think GitHub Actions has something or at least didn't have something for Heroku when I was doing this. So I just used the regular Docker commands to push and publish image to Heroku. And then all you need is the Heroku, this one Heroku command from your terminal. Something that I did was, that I thought was cool was for, you know, deploying your individual PRs, right? Uh, to like a QA or a staging site was like, a, a simple solution was like, you know, hey, have like, staging and QA1, QA2, QA3 branches that correspond to sites, right? And with Heroku sites being dynamic now, you can be like, okay, only run for a day and then stop, right? You can have those sites only run upon merge. And as soon as something gets merged, the site gets deployed and you can do a QA for a day or whatever time interval you want the site to be up for. So that was another cool thing with like the combination of Heroku, you know, and the ability to bring a site down after a specific amount of time that Heroku has. And using the same GitHub actions, the build and publish production from main, use the same one for like different branches that correspond to different environments. Yeah, one thing you need is like to reset your branches, right? Every now and then because the conflicts will arise. So maybe like that's something 
that was a problem. But yeah, depending on the use case, it could have like a branch per uh, Heroku app, or you could even have a manual trigger per PR that corresponds to a Heroku app. But I've done multiple of those. I think that that's where it starts getting a little tricky. And I think with Kubernetes, it's so easy to tie it to a GitHub or a PR with AWS and just like have like a new site deployed, you know, with the same configuration. We we haven't also used Terraforms with that part. I, I think I, I'm also, I've always been curious what would it look like just to use Terraform pull request to set up a site if you need to. But that's in my to-do to try out someday. Nice. That actually does sound also fairly, fairly useful. I, I never got around to do something like feature, feature-based page deployment, especially when it involved non-trivial stage management, which usually was the case. Because then you're like, hey, how do you do a database? Do you do like a smaller copy? Exactly. Or, or get, it, it gets, gets yeah. difficult fast. For the, yeah. we, have, we have actually feature-based deployments for our website. And that uh, and I have a like, place I'm working at, but that is just connecting them to the state staging uh, like structure. Right. I think seeds having like good seeds for your QA and staging sites is the key there. Then you can just release it to the database, right? But you're right. Like if you deploy a migration that changes a column in a feature branch right, and right. you decide not to merge it to main and then try to deploy something else, it breaks. Yep, exactly. The database state is uh, a key. Uh, thing that breaks and, and and so is like any external services uh, so yeah i wonder if that is something i mean now, we, now we're getting into the speculation part but where uh, my understanding is that like the sqlite support now also for Echo is pretty decent at this point so if you could actually set something up where you say if you have decent seeds right like just deploy deploy the sqlite like, alongside and just say hey i'm just going to keep this on the machine because i'm, I'm not going to do anything with it anyway that's a very interesting idea yeah but that's just that's just pops into my head, so I have not forget yeah. to. <laughs> this is a good good idea. So. Right. I think the only thing would be obviously some fragments wouldn't work with Ecto, right? And and uh, surprisingly, every company I've worked for have done something weird enough with JSON that will not work in like uh, SQLite. Yeah, probably. But but with that exception or similar exception, I think that's a very that's a brilliant idea actually. It's then like, I mean, you would probably still want to have something like a staging environment where you actually do run the database migrations like for real because right. you would have to recreate the database for like a late scenario every time, which might work while the real migration might not, right? Like that's, that's always kind of the gist of things. But yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just migration fuckery. <laughs> right. Okay, then anything else beyond that? I mean, like now, now what, what have we talked about? We have talked about getting that stuff built. Yeah, talk about getting that stuff deployed in 2023. It is. I nearly wanted to say 2022. And now, what's the other thing? Getting that stuff monitored. So, what's the state of monitoring maybe in, in 2023? What is what? What are you do, using, Ali? Alan? I guess I've been using AppSignal. It's worked really well for for basic monitoring and like tracing like stuff and for individual logs. Oh my god, it's all over the place. There's log DNA that I really enjoyed. That I think its query language was very simple and ability to like you know define a subset of logs based on a few expressions was very, very cool. I guess Splunk is nice too, right? But yeah. that's expensive. And also, what is it like? Better Stack? Have you guys heard of the be- the Better Stack? They have, a, there's something called the Better Stack. Uh, I, I was doing some research, but they, uh, I'm trying to find their logging solution. Anyway, that's another one that I, Logtail 
was the one that's part of the better stack. That was pretty good too. But log DNA was most most convenient and like for individual errors and monitoring and tracing, app signal was pretty good. They also it also has Erlang support. If you set up like I think just OTP app name environment variable, it and make sure it gets sent to app signal. You'll have like an Erlang trace as well, like processes and how many processes get spawned and memory usage of oh, each process. Yeah, so it's it pretty cool. And I think something like pager duty to make sure you know, make sure you set it, you set it, set your triggers and SLA in app signal that trigger like an on call routine. Although I've been wanting to use on call built by man, who was it built by? <laughs> this my my GitHub stars are like going. Uh, Grafana, right. Grafana built on call. I've been wanting to use that. I've heard it's a lot better than PagerDuty's interface where it's like almost impossible to set up rotations between people. But on call can use your Google calendars and other just like sync rotations and it's easy to manage basically. So we need to use that for like on call shifts. But would love to hear what Alan uses. Uh, log DNA, usually. I, I just hook it in because they have a runner for, for what do you call it? The collector for EKS or for Kubernetes in general. They also have some kind of Kubernetes integration thing before, but I haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, otherwise, Sentry. Sentry works pretty well. I mean, you can just hook it in. I think there's some integration already. It's, uh, yeah, those are the two things I use. I think I tried some other stuff, but those are the two I usually go for. Yeah, I've heard PagerDuty and all those other ones. I think we've had somebody on here that worked at one of those companies, right? And they, there's seems pretty good. So, yeah. I mean, the, the, to be honest, they're all about the same. Like, all you need to know is like when an error happens, I think you can hook into like Sassel or something and get a bunch of information. So just in general, but you need something like <laughs> since Sasha was like, oh, yeah, what are you using on Flyo? Uh, actually, nothing. <laughs> That's probably something we need to do next. We're just doing the old try and true method to keep the browser window open at the uh, at the log lines and look for errors. <laughs> That's what we've been doing for the meantime. But we don't have this one deployed to production yet. So I mean, if fair enough, it, it's a form of monitoring as well. It's the same yeah. as like it, 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 angry customers calling you is also a form of monitoring. <laughs> well, the good thing is they're I you know I'm in Hong Kong and they're in like Eastern Time in the US, so it's like we're on opposite times of the world. So they can call as much as they like. My phone's in sleep mode, so it's okay. I'll get to it later. But anyway, we're not in production yet. So um, that's definitely some, definitely something that we're going to be looking at. I think Sentry is probably a good option. Oh, one thing about AppSignal that reminds me is it has periodic checks you can set up based on context. You can like, add context to it. And you can generate a status page using that uh, and host it on, you know, like a subdomain under your your domain, which which is, which, you know, gives you a very easy status page, which, which is always cool. I mean, that sounds useful, yeah. I mean, the funniest thing is always are these status pages, which are kind of hosted on like the, the same infrastructure as the rest. And then when something goes down, it's actually like, oh, the status page is down as well. Great. <laughs> and maybe to, to throw in my perspective there, what we've been doing with like a, this new backend uh, project with, within a new code base, we are, went full in on like open telemetry, like 100% buy-in there. And at the moment, everything gets shipped to Datadog just by the nature of us having a Datadog contract before, like the previous previous stuff we were running. But the nice thing is that we, with OpenTelemetry setup, we can now also, when we did that, like try out some other platforms. It's still all very, very early. So I, I wouldn't even say that I myself have like a direct preference, but I would definitely, if I would be building an Elixir project nowadays, I would always go with OpenTelemetry. You have a little bit of extra effort because you're like, you need those open telemetry collectors, which which they pull in your stuff and then they send it somewhere. So that is the thing you need to take care of as well. But honestly, the flexibility it gives you to then ship it to Datadog or to Honeycomb or to probably also something like Splunk or AppSignal, man, I wouldn't want to miss it. I really wouldn't want to miss it. It's just so convenient where you don't get that level of lock-in 
from these providers. So that's that, that's like what, what I've been doing, basically saying do open telemetry and then figure out which platform you like best. <laughs> that, be, that is that is my approach at the moment. I like it a lot. I like that approach a lot. And yeah, to, I totally agree. Open telemetry. I should pretty much always use it at Elixir. Just once you use it, the flexibility it gives you. Yeah, to even move. <laughs> from one platform to another and like download the actual contents and like i think what app signal has like importers now right like that allows you to like import old open telemetry logs too so yeah it's it's pretty cool yeah it's also like open telemetry i feel really is at a point where they have enough mind share for platforms like datadog app signal splunk i would assume as well app, uh, so on and so forth where they can't ignore it so it's, it's actually it's, it's, it's convenient I'm, I'm really fond of it it works pretty well. Okay, now we have application built, have it deployed, have it monitored. Anything else in the context of <laughs> building and running and managing Elixir applications in 2023? How do you guys usually handle like promoting your your instances to like production? I mean, for me, like what I what I usually do is we always branch and 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 do feature branches and then check out the work and and if it looks good, we merge it in and we have like a staging or a pre-production environment. And then once the client says, you know, okay, this looks good, then we merge it over to production and everything's running the CI. Like, do you guys have the same style? I guess like it depends. You do a lot of like client work, right? So you need their feedback. I guess like you can replace them with like in a, in a bigger company, like a QA kind of a team or a product team, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I think from a branch perspective, what I have, I've worked with branches that merge main, deploy main branch to staging and then promote to production, like you said, but also they have a separate staging branch, which follows main on a weekly basis gets reset that you merge to first and then you get staging separately. And then when you merge to main is when, you know, or develop or depending on, you know, what you, you do, it's like kind of like staged for the next release to be set and you have a release branch that corresponds to the next production release. Like that's like more like uh sort of like git flow git flow ish approach. But yeah, I like keeping it simple until the team grows. <laughs> right. Uh, I think git flow is too complex for a team of like five or less. It just adds unnecessary complexity. But I've seen people like, oh we're gonna go out for git flow teams of like three, four engineers. I'm like, why? <laughs> To be honest, I'm not even sure you need Gitflow nowadays anymore. Like it, it solved the problem back then, and I, I was a fan of it. But I'm now, I'm a big fan of just. If, if I were to decide, decide freely, like we do it slightly different at, at at my work, but that is also for historical reasons. I'm a big fan of deploying on merge on main to like something like a staging system, and then promoting one of these releases to production. I feel that it's just, it just brings a lot of kind of same guarantees around it, especially when you when you really do that promotion of like the same image. It's like, okay, this was deployed on staging, right. it worked, the migrations ran, and now we take that damn same image and we deploy it to production. It's just a very, it just feels very nice and, and, and safe also. And we've never had any issues with that, that we actually, okay, we migrations again, right? But because data and production is different staging, that's like a different story for like, maybe you just want to synchronize from the database from production to staging, anonymizing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but in general, it's just very sane approach, and yeah. then you would only have very short-lived feature branches. The question of how you went then might want to be, do feature-based, feature branch-based deployment. That's a different one. You kind of have to check on that on your right. own. The yeah, one I thing I've never got around to do, which I would have loved, would have been loved to do all the time, is like really proper blue-green deployments where you really get that thing deployed. It really does run some some sanity checks, some some smoke tests, and only then it kind of really goes fully live 
kind of always the poor man's version of help, like a health check endpoint in this case, Kubernetes, where like it, but then it never, like it kept spinning and just failing. And like the number one realization I had on that front is that like your whole deployment at CI pipeline, you kind of want to optimize for failure. You want to optimize for the bad path, basically for the sad path. That every scenario there should actually end up in something, in a concrete action step, should post somewhere, like there should be something happening. And the, the happy path is more of a byproduct <laughs> of that. Yeah, sorry, kind of went on ramble there, but that's, that's my perspective on this nowadays, of like how I would want to do the deployment pipeline and how I would want to deploy to staging and then production. I wouldn't want to do anything like staging and production from my perspective are fine. I, 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 I've not worked in a scenario where you really want like a third environment. I've, I've not yeah. seen that. In a, well, well, what we've always had was we had like a dev and then we had a QA and then we had production. So our dev was kind of like the staging to a certain extent. And we would, you know, this environment that we could mess around with and we would just kind of test stuff. That was, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It, I felt a little bit weird to have a dev environment because I was like, well, why, don't, why isn't our local machine a dev environment? But to be honest, yeah. I mean, you, you need something that, because we're, I was working in the bank at the time, right? And the weird part about working in the bank is that we're developing on Windows, <laughs> but we're deploying to Linux. <laughs> and it was like always weird, right? And I think that's why you actually need a dev environment because you need one step before pre-prod or, or one step before prod and one step before pre-prod because like you don't want to deploy this and say, okay, business, check this out. And like you you forgot to replace the slashers correctly because that was actually one thing we had. We actually had really VMs that we were running on and we actually had like a code translation. If Windows, do use this. <laughs> if, if Linux, do this. Something like that. Or So like that was uh, a painful part. I actually want to also reject my statement just like because I could think of an example. If you um, if your staging environment is actually used by someone else than the backend engineering team. So if there's maybe for a mobile app you have like pointed to staging, you want to keep be able to test that. Anything like that. But any anything else which also is has a dependency on that system and like doesn't want it to be braked to their own tests, at that point you might want something like a third environment where it's okay to break stuff. <laughs> And that was basically a dev to a certain extent, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Because I mean, at, at that point, it's also, yeah, locally, you can have dev, depending on the complexity of your system, it's just not reasonable to have your full system running on a machine, especially when it's like more of a, of a distributed nature, where you actually might want to to test out the, the, interconnected, the interconnected parts and then full deploy. Well, here's a good question, too. Do you always call it pre, uh, staging or no? Because I always call it staging, but then I'm working with a French guy who likes to call it pre-prod. I always call it staging, but yeah. Yeah, I guess staging, I've called it dev like you were doing, Alan. There is, yeah, staging is, I think, the most appropriate name. Yeah, well, pre-prod also makes sense, to be honest. Like, staging is kind of un unclear to, to a certain extent. It's like, but I guess you're staging that to deploy to production, but not really, because, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is kind of a weird name, although I do prefer that name. Like, pre-prod does make more sense to me, because it's like, before you go to production, this is what you use. So I find staging, the name itself is a little bit strange, but I do like it more than pre-prod. Maybe because staging and pre I don't know, I find pre-prod more hard to say, if that makes sense. But it should be staged, right? Staged. Right, because <laughs> oh, production. Is this like a pun on Git or something? No, no. So it's, it, I'm, just, I'm just saying like, it's like, uh, I guess like staging is like yeah. a verb, right? And like state production is a noun. So it should be like, this is production uh, and this is staged. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's just, yeah. Language. It's weird. <laughs> well, I never thought about it until Alan mentioned it. And I'm like, hmm, what's the better name for staging? But yeah. I don't know, but I think I'm drunk looking at Sasha right now. Yeah, my camera just went out of focus. I look very blurry. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do pics? Let's do pics. All right. So I got a few pics today. So one is a video game. 
well, there's two video games. One everyone knows, which is Hogwarts Legacy. And there's a lot of there's some controversy around it, but it looks epic. And any Harry Potter fan, you know, you should definitely try it. There is controversy around it. I get it. But, oh man, the game looks epic. I'm super excited for that. And there is another game that I played recently. It's called Vampire. I don't know if it's a PS exclusive, but that, I think it came out in 2018, which its graphics aren't like great, but its gameplay is quite interesting. So yeah, if you guys are interested in like a dark <laughs> vampire-like game, you should give that a try. And I have a couple really awesome people who are looking for jobs. They're not engineers, but they are two of the best people I have ever worked with. One is a customer uh, success expert. So like she has like 10 plus years of startup experience and very effective and entertaining at communication and making something boring sound super interesting. She's like a marketing genius. And yeah, jack of all trades on top of it. So her name is Delaney and I will add her contact in the show notes, she is looking for a job. She recently got laid off, so just helping out here. Another one of my friends is really, really great. is an operations expert, and she has a history of like building and scaling startups from zero one successfully multiple times. Again, ten plus years of experience. Great at many things, jack of all and master of some, which is the case in both of these people. Her name is Olivia, and I will again add her contact details um, in the show notes. Uh, any company would be extremely lucky to have either of these people. Nice. I love how you consistently do that, Ali. Props to you, seriously. Alan, what are your picks for this week? Yeah, for me, I just have one pick. I was just playing a game recently called uh, Bright Memory Infinite. You guys heard of this one before. It's actually, they say it only takes you about two hours to complete the game, but the game looks really great. I was quite happy with it. It's a really quick game made by like just a couple of Chinese developers. I was quite surprised. Like, this is the second version, the second game in in this. In, so it's called <laughs> Bright Memory. The name is a little bit weird. Or Memory Bright or Bright Memory. Yeah, Bright Memory. Uh, the name is really weird. But to be honest, the game is pretty decent. It looks really good. I'm playing on my Steam Deck. The only issue is sometimes it freezes. Maybe it's, I think this is a Steam Deck Linux issue, not an issue with the game if you're playing on Windows. But yeah, it's kind of cool. Like you have powers where you can push people and make them explode and stuff. And a, a sword and guns and yeah. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So this is the game I'm playing recently, and I think it's a, something people should check out. It's on sale right now for this. I think it's just a few dollars US. I don't know. My my store is in Hong Kong dollars, so it's like twenty seven Hong Kong dollars. It's like uh, I don't know. It's like three bucks. I think three four dollars. Question is, if it's still on sale when this episode releases, Alan? Probably not. <laughs> but I think <laughs> at retail, it's like twenty US dollar. It's not too bad, but it is a little bit short. So. I think it's better if you buy it when it's on sale because it's, it is a quite short game. Nice. I'm also going to pick a game because I, I have nothing, no interesting reading at the moment happening. But I want to pick a game I just recently tried out kind of by accident. Like it, it got gifted to me around Christmas from like an online acquaintance. And then we were wondering what to play one evening with some folks. And we were like, hey, I still have this game. It's like someone gifted it to me. Let's try it out. And it's Stick Fight, the game. And it's, it's exactly what you would expect. It's just a, it, over-the-top crazy games about stick figures fighting. It's nothing I would consider like serious, I don't know, combat kind of like uh, fighting game 
although it has a surprising level of depth to it, but it just it delivers on this on this premise of like stick figures fighting so well. I'm not sure if if you've been around for like early days of YouTube, there were these videos of like animated stick figures fighting epically. There's also like one finger death punch and so on, like these stick figure fighting games, and it kind of delivers on that in like a multiplayer fashion. And the neat thing about that is also it's um, the rounds are insanely quick, and when you actually finish a round, it just drops you immediately into the next map, and then into the next map, and then into the next map. So just because keep playing one map after the other, in like this crazy stick fighting game <laughs> sense. So it's, it's a lot of uh, fun with friends in voice chat because there's a lot of screaming. Like, ah! and so on and so forth so it was, it was a lot of fun and it's also like seriously it's under five bucks like it's regularly on sale and sometimes even below two bucks so for even if you only play it for one night with some friends it's totally worth it, it was a lot of fun so stick fight the game okay folks it was a pleasure as, as always talking with you about this and then uh, adi i expect next time that you pick a vegan pizza terraform uh, adapter yeah that we're gonna nice. some pizza so, so we can eat pizza while recording the podcast <laughs> all right then thanks for listening and tune in next time where we have another episode of the mix bye